Well, we're in week uh, five of our summer-long conversation uh, working through the book of James. We've chosen to go through the book of James together uh, to have equal amounts of torture across the board. James continues to compel us and and motivate us towards uh, introspection, just looking deep inside ourselves to go, what's working, what's not working, what do we need to uh, carve out, and and, and what do we need to lean into? And so uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about trials and maturity how trials lead us to maturity. Then we talked about uh, hearing and doing, listening to what the word says and, and following through with actions. We talked about uh, kindness and favoritism, and we talked about uh, faith and works. And so this morning, I, I told you I would warn you, and I forgot, it snuck up on me too, but we're talking about blessings and curses. We're talking about the way we speak, the words we use, the way we talk to and about one another. So if you're content with the way you're living and talking, you can step out now. The rest of us, uh, we're going under the the surgeon's knife. We're going to the table, and we're going to allow God to work on us. Here's what I know about you and I, is that we spend one-fifth of our time talking, uh, texting, tweeting, whatever. If all of our words were put into print, uh, a single day would fill a 50-page book. If we were to look at our uh, year, it would be 132 books of 200 pages. That's just one year of the words that we use. For some of us, it's more. For others of you, it's a little bit less. But what I know about us is that we spend an inordinate amount of time communicating, using words, taking letters and forming words and forming words into phrases and sentences and on and on. We communicate all the time. In fact, I would say we communicate more and, and now than ever in history with all the various ways that we have to uh, send out messages and TikTok and Instagram and stories and all this stuff. We are consistently as a culture talking. And that's a lot of opportunity. It's a lot of opportunity to bless one another. It's also a lot of opportunity to curse And this morning we're going to talk about what it looks like to bless and to curse. And I don't mean cursing like the four-letter word that you slipped and said and you shouldn't have said or you have to apologize for or maybe you just outright say consistently. But uh, that's that's, that's between you and and, and God. What I know about the word curse in in context is the curse, if you take the etymology and you you look at the history of the word curse, it comes back to the word curse, C-U-R-S, which is a prayer that evil or harm will befall on someone. In Latin, it's believed to come from the word course, C-O-U-R-S-E, meaning that you hope that harm will befall on someone and alter the course of their life. So in order to curse someone, you are hoping to speak evil in such a way that it would alter the course of their life. That if we talk this much and we understand the propensity for our words to cause blessing and our words to cause cursing, or evil, then we have to realize that God has a lot to say about the things that we say. We have to recognize that God cares very deeply for the words that we use and the manner in which we speak and text and tweet and post. That there's a lot in the scriptures to be said about how we conduct ourselves as followers of Christ. In James 1.19, if you'll remember back several weeks ago, James says, my dearly loved brothers understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we talked a couple weeks ago about how we're the exact opposite, most of us. And yet, if we are slow to speak, it actually changes the things that we say. 
that if we're slow to say them, then it actually creates a process in our minds where we think of what I should say, and then we filter it through the slow process, and then we decide, is that appropriate or inappropriate? Now, maybe you're good at this. I am not. So we all have work to do, the vast majority of us. James is building on this idea that we have to be quick to listen and slow to speak and in verse 3, or chapter 3, rather, verse 1, which is our, our text today, it says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is also able to control his whole body. James is saying, not many of us should pursue being teachers because there's a stricter judgment. He's saying, let's all slow down. If you're actually able to, uh, to not stumble in this way, then you're mature. But for everyone else, we've got some work. He says that the tongue, though, is very revealing. I think the sentiment that he's trying to send to all of us is that the words that we use are revealing. They show the human heart. They show the human condition. He says, no one should desire to be teachers because of this. He's saying there's a, a one, there's a, a, a harsher uh, judgment upon you if you've chosen to be a teacher, an educator at some level. But the other thing he's saying is if you've chosen to be a teacher, you actually have the capacity to poison the very well in which you draw from. He's saying if you're a teacher, you're an educator, you have to be careful. Now, some of you are teachers, some of you have been teachers, but let's be honest, all of us are teachers at some capacity. We're all teaching somebody something about us. If you have kids in the home, everything you say and do is being monitored. You are teaching on a daily basis. If you're at your workspace, you're teaching in your workspace. You're teaching uh, what behavior you accept and what you uh, don't. You're teaching uh, what, what, what's appropriate and what's not, what you think is moral and what's not. You're teaching all the time. If you're in community like this, you're teaching others the appropriate behavior that the way that we conduct ourselves creates a culture. And one of the things that we're overtly aware of, both in the church and our daycare, is the culture that we create. And based on how we speak to and about one another, the things that we say, the things we permit, the things we admit, it begins to create a culture. And at the daycare specifically, we've had to let people go because they were poisoned for the culture. In the community of faith, we want to make sure that we're not poisoning the well that we draw from because we're all teaching and if you've ever been in a room, and the room was just, it was exciting, and people were happy to be there, and then one person walks in, and they're just mad, or sad, or disgruntled, or, or whatever, it brings the whole vibe of the room just down. If you don't realize it, then you're probably that person who brings the vibe down. But if you've ever been in a good mood, and you encounter someone who's not, rarely does it happen where your good mood inf it rubs off on that person. More often than not, it brings you down, because negativity tends to beget negativity, and a lot of times when we come into a room and we bring our negativity and we bring our anger or bitterness or whatever, if we do that often enough, people start to expect that from you. Oh, here comes so-and-so, get ready, here we go. And then that becomes your image, that becomes the, the, the expectation that people have of you. That we raise and we lower the standards in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our society, you and I. I know you may not feel like you have a lot of influence. I know your followers may not be over 100 on social media and your job space seems small and you may not feel like you have a lot of influence, but I need you to know that you have uh, vastly more influence than you ever realized. 
that you, sitting in your seat, can raise and lower the standards of the environment that you're in. That the tongue is both a thermostat and a thermometer. It's a thermostat in that you can raise and lower the temperature of any room. You walk into a room and you bring life and hope and joy. It elevates the room. You come in and bring despair and anger or whatever, fear, anxiety. It lowers the temperature of every room that you, with your tongue and your ability to carve out and create and use words, or thermostat. I can walk back in the back and I can turn the temperature down a little more. I don't know if you're cold enough today, but we can make it a little colder. And it would change the temperature of the room. It may take a minute, but it would change it. We can raise it. It's also a thermostat, your tongue. If you want to evaluate the temperature of your soul, your life, you can look at the words you're using. You can take an inventory of your day, of your week, and go, am I speaking life and health and growth? Am I speaking despair or fear or anxiety? What is coming out of my mouth? And you can begin to take the temperature and say, am I healthy? Am I connected to God? Am I disconnected? Am I unhealthy? Because all words matter. And as much as we try to make words less important in our lives, we say things like sticks and stones hurt my bones, but words, there we go, a few of you remember that. Uh, I've very rarely been hurt by sticks and stones. I can't actually remember, I mean, I might like trip on a stick or step on a stone, but very rarely am I deeply wounded by sticks and stones. I don't live in an environment where people are actively trying to attack me with sticks and stones. So, Words are the way in which I've been hurt the most in my life. Unless you live in a dramatically different environment than I do, words are most likely the primary way in which you've been wounded in the last 6 to 12 months. That we can say sticks and stones and it feels cute as a child, but as an adult we begin to realize it's actually not a true statement. That words are damaging. When someone speaks to you or about you in a disparaging way, you ruminate. You don't, you don't forget it. It goes over in your head. Why would they say that about me? Why would they think that about me? Why would they say that to me? What about me? Makes it, and it's, you go on and on, and it's very damaging because all words are important. All words have two options. They can either bless or they can curse. They can bring health and life, or they can bring death and destruction. All words can either build or they can tear down. Think about the last time you were wounded. It was words that tore something down inside of you, a hope and a dream, an idea, whatever. They, they tore something. Think about the last time you spoke to someone. Did you build into their life or did you tear? James is saying, words are revealing. Every time you open your mouth, your mind spills out. He's saying if you can control your tongue, then you're wise. You can actually control your entire body. See, here's what I know about building and tearing down. is It's a whole lot easier to tear down than it is to build. If we were to decide right now, hey, we're all just going to go down the hall and we're going to tear up the kitchen. We're going to renovate it. We're going to rip it out. Let's go. Here's a crowbar. Here's a hammer. Here's some one pair of goggles for all of us. Like, let's, that's how you work. Let's go. We're going to go tear down. No one would go, do I have experience? Do I know how to do this? Am I equipped for this? Is there a YouTube video to teach me how to appropriately rip? No, because we can all do it without any previous experience. But if I said, hey, we're all going to go build something. You go, well, I don't have skill in that. I don't know how to do it. I have to watch some videos. We need to figure this out. Because building is so much harder than tearing down 
that same mindset filters into our language. Do you know that critics and being a critic is a lot easier than actually being a creator? You can be a film critic, everyone. I just saw on, on Twitter this morning, like somebody was ripping apart of a movie, and I'm like, that's easy. I can do that. I can just type a few characters. It was a terrible film and not have to do anything. But to actually be a filmmaker, do you know how much work and effort? We go on Amazon and we're like, this product's garbage. But can you imagine creating that product? Because tearing down is easier than building for you and I. When we look at the words we use and the way we speak to and about one another, criticizing comes really easy. Tearing down one another is very easy. It's not hard to look at something and go, I'd do that better. I know a better way to do it. But doing it is different. And a lot of us need to take a deep inventory of our lives to go, are we building or are we tearing down? Are we lazy in the way that we speak to and about others and that we don't really take much into consideration? We just throw our opinion out. That was terrible. I could have preached a better sermon myself. But are you? Are you prepared? Are you ready? The idea is that we need to be creators. We need to be builders with our words, with our language, with our lives. And in Ephesians 4.29, says, No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Anybody use foul language this week? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) The Bible says don't use foul language. Nothing unwholesome should come from our mouth, meaning crude, unnecessary, foul, lewd, nasty, racist, degrading, talk, posts, tweets should come from our mouths. I'll bet all of us failed at some level this week. I'll bet all of us did. If you haven't failed today, it's still early. I bet we failed at this at some level because it's a consistent struggle. That's not just your struggle, but it's all of our struggle. And yet the Bible still says we should let no unwholesome talk come from us. You know that joke that you heard and it was a little lewd, but it didn't seem that bad? Or that statement that you had to say, but you had to, you had to give a, a disclaimer first. Hey, I hope this doesn't offend you. hope this doesn't sound too racist. hope this isn't too perverted. But you say it anyway. God sees that. He hears that. He knows that. And he wants, to, he wants to turn his attention towards that. That if you have to preface something before you speak it, there's a good chance we probably shouldn't say it, and yet we do. We do. But our responsibility as Christians is to encourage and to build up and to speak life and to speak love and to speak uh, health. And yet we find that tearing down is so much easier because the tongue is very difficult to control. The tongue is very difficult for us. All of us. And James is saying if you've mastered it, then you've actually mastered your entire body. Meaning if you can get control of something such, uh, so small and so simple that we, th- we think doesn't really matter, it actually dictates and controls your entire body. And in James 3, 3, it says, Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the entire animal. And consider ships, though very large and are driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. We've got a horse. It's a small one, uh, and, and, but it's bigger than me. You know, I couldn't wrestle it to the ground if I had to, but it's small. Uh, but it's bigger than my daughter, and, and she leads it with just a rope. 
And I watch her out in the yard, like walking it around, and the thing just like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go over here. And you can tell sometimes it doesn't want to, and it kind of shakes its head. But because that rope on its face, there's something conditioned inside of it where it will not go, it will not turn. It's like, oh, I guess I'll have to just obey this little rope and this tiny girl. And it does it. A ship, a massive ship, it's going to go wherever the captain directs it because a rudder that's turning left and right, it's moving it north, south, east, west. We're going to go this way. James is using these two examples, polar opposite examples, a land-dwelling animal and a, a, a boat that's only good on the ocean or the water. And he's saying both are directed by something very small. And then he begins to bring it down to you and me and how small our tongue is and how simplistic it seems and how we don't really, uh, we're not really mindful of our words and our language very often. And yet it's so powerful. James says the tongue will guide. It'll direct, it'll move, it'll shift. And we see this in our life. If I tell a lie, I would never. But if I told a lie, maybe I just did. If I told a lie, it would take the direction of my life this way now, right? And it may seem very subtle. But now all of a sudden I have to tell more lies to reinforce that lie, right? And then it branches, and I'm telling more lies. I'm telling more lies. And if I'm going to lie, I might as well cheat. And if I'm going to cheat, I might as well steal, right? And it takes my life from this direction to this direction. It seems subtle and small. It may be a simple lie, a white lie. It may be something really small. We don't think it's that big of a deal. And we say that. We say, that's yeah, not that big of a deal. It's just something simple. And then all of a sudden, it redirects the course of our life. And long term, if we don't bring that back in alignment, we find ourselves way over here when we thought we were going over here that our language will go in the direction it pleases if we do not guide and control it, if we do not harness it, if we do not uh, take it under our authority. And here's what I know about people is that we are all being steered by something. We have a rudder. We have a bit, and it's moving us and steering us. And for a lot of us, it's culture. Whatever culturally becomes appropriate is what we allow into our lives. And, and as we know, and this is a talk for a different time, is that uh, culturally we're seeing more foul language, more crude language in, in, in music and, and movies and in practical daily life than ever in history. There's hardly a day that goes by that we don't hear foul language. I'm not just talking about cursing like uh, uh, speaking evil. I'm talking about actual outright four-letter words that become a natural, normal part of our culture. And because of that, we adopt that into our lives where we allow culture to steer us. And, and what I know about us throughout history is that every generation has a buzzword. Every generation has a, a series or a list of words that define it, where if I were to use that word, you would you would say, oh, that comes from this decade, that comes from this time period. Words like awesome or rad or cool or whatever uh, dictate a certain time period. My, my boys will say things sometimes, and I'm like, really? Like we're eating dinner, and they go, oh, this is bussing. I'm like, like somebody needs to take care of the table, like clean the table up. Bussing means good. If you didn't know that, now you do. Uh, and now I got your attention. There's other words that they use, and, and, and I'll be like, Really? Like, that's, 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 that's stupid. It's made up. But if you look back, I mean, we were doing the same thing. There's words that we had that define us as a generation. If you used them, you go, yeah, I know how old you are. I know the time period that you lived in. Because every generation has this. But what would it look like for us to be the generation who makes the language of love our language? 
where we decided that we've torn one another down enough, we decided that we've criticized one another enough, and we've decided that we're going to be the generation who build one another up, who speak life and, and love and encouragement, that we're going to do the hard work to, to manage our tongue, to harness our language, and we're going to be the people who speak love into others' lives because there's enough people tearing things down. There's enough people speaking ill and evil, and there's enough people using that language. What does it look like for us to decide to be countercultural, to choose to steer our words towards hope and kindness and joy? But here's what I know about us as human beings is that there's no great movement in human history that didn't have an amazing communicator somewhere in the midst of it. You can look back. No great moment or movement in history that didn't have a great communicator. With language and rhetorical flair, one can incite anger and fury and zeal and love and hate. And one of the truths of human history is that words can lead us to the most despicable, the most deplorable, the most inhumane acts ever imagined. Things we couldn't even fathom doing, we are now able to do because we have defined reality for us. And all of that was words. This is true of the Holocaust. This is true of the Jim Crow laws. This is true of abortion. When we dehumanize people with our words, we can actually treat them any way that we want. And we've seen this happen over and over and over. If we reduce an unborn baby to a group of cells, then we can abort it. If we can dehumanize someone because of the color of their skin uh, or their lifestyle choices, then we can treat them any way we want because words change how we see things and how we see things change how we act. You say, well, it's just some words. It's just a couple of things that I'm saying. It's just my thoughts. I'm just, it's just what I'm thinking at the moment. It's just my opinion. But it shapes and changes a society. It shapes and changes a culture. Words are so powerful. And there's an old proverb that says, all those who open their mouths close their eyes. Silence and solitude, they help us open our eyes. And under the discipline of silence, we learn when to speak and when to refrain from speaking. And I'm still trying to learn that. But there are moments when we should speak up, and there are moments when we should not. But if we're quick to listen and slow to speak, we'll feel when we should speak up and when we should not. That there's a great power in the human tongue, that your words are not meaningless. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it boasts great things. The tongue is revealing. It reveals the human heart. It reveals the conditions. It reveals the evil in man's hearts. It's also very difficult to control, but the last thing I need you to know is that the tongue is dangerous. It's dangerous. Our tongue can be likened to a loaded gun. We are all walking around with this loaded weapon. And the most dangerous thing about it is that we do not realize that we're in possession of it. We don't realize we have it. I have this love-hate relationship with firearms. Um, but for some reason over the years, people have felt like I'm the kind of guy that they should give a gun to. So I have several. I don't know why. They're like, you should have this. And so uh, I have several, and I, I want to teach my kids how to appropriately handle them. So periodically, there will be one uh, available, and every single time uh, my kids will pick it up, they go, is this loaded? And I go, treat every gun like it's loaded. That's like gun 101. Like, you see a weapon, just assume that it's loaded and treat it as such. Say, I wonder what that looks like for us. To just assume that the moment you wake up, before you even speak words out of your mouth, you've got a loaded weapon. How are you going to use it? Are we going to tear down? 
Are we going to destroy? Are we going to cause harm? You have the capacity. You do. Right now in your seat, you could tear apart your relationship, your marriage, your friendships. You could destroy your community. There are people who try to destroy churches. With their mouths, we can tear down. And if you choose to do so, I need you to know that that's a really hard path to go down. But you can build up. You can speak life. That you can build up. You can build a stronger marriage. You can build a stronger friendship. You can build a stronger community of faith. We can. Together, we can decide that we're going to build. But in James 3, 5, it says, Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It's placed among the parts of our bodies that pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and it is set on fire by hell. In this moment, we find the source of all unwholesome talk. If you wonder where that talk came from, it comes from the pit of hell. Verse 7, every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man. But no man can tame the human tongue. We can tame a bird. We can tame a snake. We cannot tame the human tongue. What hope do we have? James says it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. You talk to your mom with that mouth. Verse 10, praising and cursing comes out of the same mouth. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapefruit produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. How can blessings and curses come out of the same mouth? How can they be an overflow of the same heart? How can our minds allow us to create these words? James describes our language as a small spark that ignites a large fire and a deadly poison. Fire, when kept in context, when kept in its boundaries, is safe. Outside of its boundaries, it destroys. Poison, though, poison will always lead to death. In case you're curious, poison will inevitably lead to death. And what we are constantly finding is that the foods that we thought were safe are now killing us. And it's interesting how often we think that the words that we're using are helpful or positive. We give unsolicited advice or we say, this is just my opinion. And we say things sometimes with the best intentions, but we tear down and we destroy and we hurt. And we have to be careful as human beings walking around, as people created by God. How are we speaking about others who are created by God? God. And Proverbs 18, 21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruit. Life and death, complete and total opposites. Opposite sides of the spectrum. You're either alive or you're dead. There's very little, if nothing, in between. And it says both are in the power of the tongue. So there's this extraordinary power in the words that we choose. And we have an opportunity every moment we open our mouths. Am I going to bless Am I going to curse? We become uncomfortable with using words. So often we text, right? We text so much. What are we doing? Are we blessing or are we cursing? We bless people when we praise them, when we tell them that they're good at something, or when we uh, tell them we're proud of them, or we believe in them, we build them up. And I often undervalue the weight of my words. I'm not like built to need praise. So I often find that I don't give the thing that I don't feel like I need. And yet, at the core of all of us, whether you feel like you need praise or not, we all need it. 
We live in a world that is consistently tearing down and, 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 and diminishing. And so we need to be a, a glimmer of hope that is building and instilling life in others. I believe in you. I'm wearing your jersey. I, uh, thank you. You're awesome. Uh, whatever. And sometimes we have to speak things into existence that don't exist just yet. And I don't mean like uh, prosperity gospel kind of stuff. But I mean sometimes we have to, we have to praise before the actions will follow. I don't mean like in a disingenuine way. I don't mean like, oh, uh, you're great, but really you're not. I mean, we need to be honest with one another and we have an integrity, but at the same time, sometimes we need to speak into existence what we want to see. We're asking God, we're blessing uh, our, our city, our community of faith. We pray, we pray God to, to, to build our church, to grow our church. We're speaking and inviting God into uh, this part of our life. Sometimes we have to say, great job, even though it was a pretty good job, and we're inviting someone in to feel uh, like they're empowered, to be strengthened, and this is toxic and can go a wrong way very quickly, but sometimes we wait for everyone to meet our standards before we give praise, and our standards sometimes are so high that we never give anyone praise and so we have to be quick and easy to give praise, speaking health and life. And even in my home, I'm, I realize I, I joke a lot. And sometimes my jokes don't always land the way I hope they'll land. And so uh, sometimes I can hurt in a way that I don't mean to, ha- to bring harm. And so I have to be aware, you do too, of, of how we're communicating. But what I do know is that when you tell someone you're proud of them, they light up. And I like to do this sometimes. I haven't been as mindful lately, but I, I hope to be. But, you know, you stay in a hotel and you see someone who's cleaning and you go, thank you for cleaning my room. It looks fantastic. It shifts and changes their perception. They're used to people just passing. You're at the YMCA or maybe your barista or whatever, and you go, hey, you're doing a great job. I know it's hard to get a long line and everybody's going to wait to criticize you, but I think you're doing awesome. And all of a sudden, a light comes on in them. And maybe they're the slowest barista ever, but maybe they'll try a little harder because you're inspiring them to something more that you can raise, but you can also lower the temperature of every room. So be mindful of the power that you will because the tongue is very difficult to control, that your mouth is speaking the sentiment of your soul. And so when we begin to realign our soul, it realigns our language. See, this is not behavior modification. This is not choose better words. So you leave here and you go, oh, I can't say that, but I should say this. That's not... That's not possible long term, but if we'll change our heart's condition. If you see that you're speaking anxiety and fear and stress, let's deal with that. If you're angry and you're just constantly mad at the world and you're looking for the worst case scenario, let's deal with that. God says, I want to get into that part of your heart. This is not about putting a better filter on your mouth. This is about changing the condition of our hearts. And watch how our mouths will reflect left alone. We will just uh, run amok. We'll say whatever we want to say. But the best way to get started is to say, God, here's my heart. I give it to you. Here's my mind. It's yours. Take control of it. And then watch how your words begin to change. That if we understand the power and the capacity that we have, then we need to understand that we cannot take back words. Once they're out, they're out. But we can be careful before we use them. How are you speaking to the people around you? How are you speaking to yourself? A lot of our self-talk is worse than the talk that we would give to someone else. We often uh, speak worse to ourselves than we would to anyone else. In fact, if you said the things that you say to yourself to someone else, they'd fight you right there in that moment. We are so hard on ourselves. What does it look like to speak life into yourself? Hey, no, that was hard. We didn't do our best, but we're doing better. Let's go. Let's try. What does it look like for us to start to change how we see the words we use? Let's all just take inventory this week and go, God, here's my heart. 
allow my words to change, that our words can bless or they can curse, that every encounter we have, let's choose to be people who bring blessing. We leave a trail of love and hope and joy and peace behind us everywhere we go. That's my hope for us. That's what James is challenging us to do. He's inviting us into a better way to speak, to talk to ourselves and to talk to others and talk about others. Let's, let's heed this warning. Let's step into this better way and let's watch how the course of our community begins to change. Let's be the generation who shapes our world by love. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning.